Support for this episode comes from Beerwolf. Beerwolf understands that never before have so many incredible flavors, styles, and brands been waiting to be discovered. That's why Beerwolf has built an online store to make it easier for you to find delicious beer in a way that's affordable, convenient, and fun. Beerwolf.com gives you access to hundreds of beers from local and international brewers at the touch of a button, delivered direct to your doorstep in just 24 hours. To find out more about Beerwolf, head on over to Beerwolf.com. That's wolf with a U, beerwlf.com, and discover your new favourite beer. Whether that's a New England IPA or a Belgian blonde, there's a world of beer to unlock. Cheers to that. About a million years ago, in the mid-1970s, I was in the U.S. Army, stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. It's not a good time to be in the Army. The government was desperately trying to show that the all-volunteer peacetime Army could work without a draft, so they took anyone, and I do mean anyone. I seriously think the only requirement was the ability to walk and breathe at the same time. One day in the middle of July, the powers that be decided they needed to throw a party to boast morale. The 269th Aviation Battalion will celebrate this Friday from 1,200 to 1,600 hours. You will be there and you will have fun. While North Carolina is full of lakes, ponds, and natural beauty, they gathered all 200 plus of us in what looked like a giant dirt parking lot in the absolute middle of nowhere surrounded by scrub pines that were maybe about a meter high. There was absolutely nothing to do there, except for one thing. The barbecue that was provided, you had to pay for. Soft drinks, you had to pay for. But the beer, all 20 zillion cans, was free. Some supply sergeant must have figured, hmm, hot as hell, day and no shade, sir, each soldier must be provided with at least 12 cans of beer for pure survival reasons alone. Anything less, and we could have a medical emergency on our hands. Because this was survival we're talking about, they opted to have about a dozen open trailers placed strategically around the area, filled with ice and beer, so no soldier was ever far from a cold one, and there'd be no lines. Sounds great? No. These guys were all idiots at the best of times. You didn't want to get them drunk. To add to my own lack of personal enjoyment, my first wife decided to come to this party as well to keep an eye on me. She was the only spouse who accepted the invitation. She and I had assumed everything would be free and we didn't have a cent between us to buy food or a soft drink. The great days before cash machines and debit cards. And neither one of us felt like having old Milwaukee beer on that hot of day. So there we were, the only ones completely thirsty and sober, in a field of over 200 drunks. Within an hour, the command had given up the idea of being in command, figuring the beer would ultimately run out in order and discipline restored. Music was being provided by a southern good old boy at one end of the field, and at the opposite end, an inner-city African-American soldier. What could possibly go wrong there? Both seemed determined to play only the worse in their battle the tunes, which consisted of endless repeats of Convoy and Take This Job and Shove It, going against Disco Duck and Love Machine. It doesn't require a vivid imagination to picture what was soon happening in the field. 
There were arguments, fights, smackdowns, and more fights. The two medics on duty were busy putting in stitches and bandaging noses. Because of a couple of drunks decided to be fun to push over the portaloos with someone inside, the porta crappers were soon smashed and unusable. A few soldiers couldn't be bothered to walk over to the scrub pines and piss where they stood like mules. At one point I watched a staff sergeant pass out drunk, face down in the beer trailer. If his friends hadn't pulled him out, he would have drowned or had his face frozen or both. Promptly at 1600, those still standing got in their cars and drove off, like it was the start of the Indy 500, except on a dirt track. Looking at those drunk dunderheads behind their wheels, my wife and I decided to be in no hurry to leave. We looked over the field that looked like it was out of a war zone. In hindsight, we just needed the end music from platoon playing. The field was littered with hundreds of beer cans, overturned trailers, vomit, the smashed up portaloos, and someone's boots. How could you not notice your feet were suddenly bare? One of the medics was sleeping on a stretcher. From playing catch up with the beer or just dog tired, I wasn't sure which. To me, it was either the worst party I'd ever been to or the best. I was leaning towards best if only I could have been a participant instead of an observer. Oddly enough, my wife saw things a bit differently. She looked at me. We're not part of this, and we never will be. We're never touching alcohol again. Surprisingly, it was a promise I kept for over 10 years. Hi, this is Vela Mitrovich, and you're listening to the Brewer's Journal podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking about the rise in non-alcohol beer, also referred to as no-alcohol beer, non-alcoholic beer, N.A., or malt beverage. We'll be talking to Stuart Elkington of Dry Drinker, the UK's largest distributor of non-alcohol beers, wines, and spirits. As a brewer, is this something you should be considering adding to your brew list if you not already are? Just to let you know, in this podcast, I'll only be discussing non-alcohol beers. Later in the year, I'll be tackling low alcohol. During my dry decade, I tried to find alternatives. There was near beer, which was started in the U.S. during Prohibition. It was horrible. And I'll just leave it at that in case any kids are listening. After a long, long search, I found a couple of German alcohol-free beers, but these were so malty, they taste like something you'd give your kids if they had whooping cough. For some odd reason, during the same period, I decided to give up profanity as well, but with this I could find plenty of alternatives Many coming from one day when I saw a young Mormon missionary crash into a parked car while riding his bicycle. I returned to both on the same day. It was in 1988. I was living in Seattle, on the Coast Guard now, and was with some friends at a pub in Pioneer Square. While they were drinking their pitchers of Bud, I was getting ready to order a black coffee. The bartender, though, had other ideas for me. You should try a Ballard Bitter. What's that? It's better than what they're drinking, she said, pointing with her chin over at my mates. It's an IPA from the small brewery, Red Hook, that's just opened up the road. You'll really like it, trust me. IPA? Small brewery? I had no idea what she was talking about, though I was 100% sure whatever it was, it had alcohol in it. But then, she did have an English accent, so of course I completely trusted her. I took one sip 
and shouted out the F word so loudly, it's still probably floating over Seattle. Ballard Bitter was everything I ever wanted in a beer, like I'd spent my entire life waiting for that rush of hop flavors. With that, my quest to find a non-alcohol beer that tasted like beer ended. Until now. It seems like about every decade or so for the last 40 years, the beer industry has rolled out a non-alcohol beer and said, this is the future. But if you watch The Simpsons, you know how all this plays out. When Duck Brewery goes alcohol-free due to Springfield's local prohibition, Duner comes out and says he knows Duff fans drink the beer for its great taste, not for its alcohol content. And then three hours later, he's locking the gates of the now shut down plant. Why will this be any different for alcohol free this time around? In asking random people at this year's craft beer rising festival at Truman's, figuring I was hitting beer lovers, and then at the pure gym I go to, going after the health crowd, it seemed very much like you could draw a line. For those over 35, alcohol is part of the beer drinking experience, with numerous people, both male and female, telling me it was at least 50% of the reason why they drank beer. Those younger, however, said they were open to the idea of a non-alcohol beer if it tasted good, and they could see sometimes when this would be preferable. When pressed, the reasons given were, it's in the middle of the week, or you've already had one regular beer, so now you switch over to alcohol-free. Or, you want to look like you're drinking. Or, you're in a situation where you need to keep your wits about you, such as meeting the future in-laws. Or, you realize you feel better not drinking. Or, it seems healthier. Or, you just don't feel like drinking but still want a beer. Well, my generation in the States sees shame in drinking alcohol-free. and It would be something you'd try to hide. For the millennials, not at all. As for tasting good... At the CBR show, there were numerous offerings of non-alcohol beer, with some brewers such as BrewDog and Brooklyn Brewery offering it alongside the regular. Mitch Adams of Eurobooze are piling with bottles of German non-alcohol beers that they import along with regular European beers. Online beer shops such as Beerwolf and Dry Drinker have a huge assortment to try. Throwing to this mixture of no shame and tasting good, it's a report last August in the Lancelot that said that no level of alcohol consumption improves health. And throw in the massive marketing campaign that Heineken is doing on both sides of the pond with its Heineken 0.0 lager in the familiar green bottle. Suddenly, an ice-cold non-alcohol beer starts sounding good. Taking Europe as a whole, around 10% of all beer sales were non-alcohol last year. All are expecting this figure to continue to jump for at least the next five to six years. How big a jump? That's the question. Some market research groups are claiming that worldwide will double in growth, being a worth a staggering $25 billion by 2024. But knowing how many of these research groups operate, I find it even more staggering that people believe them. The UK papers have reported that last year's UK supermarket saw a jump of 27% in the sales and or consumption of non-alcohol beer. A magazine article said that in the UK, the sales last year of non-alcohol beers rose 60%. In 
In talking with brewers and distributors, sales are rising. The stigma that used to go with drinking non-alcohol beer is disappearing, especially with millennials here in the UK. Brooklyn Brewery CEO Eric Ottaway said that breweries needed to quit thinking of themselves as only makers of beer, but to look at other potential revenue streams, which includes non-alcohol beer. He says that Brooklyn's entry into non-alcohol beer is a way to diversify Brooklyn's product offerings and to build a buffer against beer's overall slowing of sales in the U.S. Brooklyn spent a year developing its non-alcohol special effects lager that is now available in Sweden and which they had at the Brickline show. When will it be available stateside? Eric Munsey. But he did say that the USA has headed backwards when it comes to non-alcoholic beer. If you're drinking a non-alc beer, there was something wrong with you. It was kept in the back of the bar fridge and carefully poured into a glass and given to you so nobody could see that you were drinking non-alcohol beer, he says. It was kind of an embarrassing thing. Whereas you go to Europe and it's celebrated. It's treated as the opposite of most countries. People would never sneer at you or look down at you like you had a problem. Ilaria Liliani, head of global marketing innovation, Heineken brand, characterizes this as moving away from a focus of can'ts, such as pregnant women and designated drivers, to don't want to's, who like the taste of beer, but just don't want to drink alcohol at a particular moment. She agrees that alcohol-free beer is seen as something that's not cool, but believes the brand equity of Heineken can play a big part in transforming perceptions. The business is putting its money where its mouth is. It is committed to spend 25% of Heineken's marketing budget on its non-alcohol in every market. She thinks the potential for the product is broad. It's a zero-alcohol beer, but also very low in calories, low in sugar. The consumer mindset is changing quite a bit. They're looking for 100% natural products, but with less sugar, less alcohol. CMO Johnny Cahill of Heineken says, It's for beer drinkers who love beer, but sometimes just don't want alcohol. We're going to change the game. It's like nothing else in the market. Non-alcohol beer first made an appearance in the U.S. in 1919. Why, you ask? That's when prohibition became law. It was decided that the strongest a beverage could be and still be considered non-alcohol was 0.5% ABV, which is where that magic number comes from, at least in most of the world, but not here. At present, to be alcohol-free in the UK, a beer brewed here has to be 0.05% ABV or below, while products with 0.5% have to be called de-alcoholized, although some non-alcohol beers don't have to have alcohol removed to be at 0.5%. So, doesn't seem quite fair to them. But even if you want to discuss really what's unfair, products from the EU and elsewhere distributed in the UK can be 0.5% and still be labeled alcohol-free. Confusing? Oh, yeah. Why doesn't the government then put a marker at 0.5% and call it a day, because not all want this. Steve Magnol, chief executive at St. Peter's Brewery, a producer of a range of 0.05% alcohol beer, says, we put time, effort, and money to producing a zero alcohol range of beers 
So why should a 0.5% beer be branded as zero alcohol when it isn't? Someone wishing not to drink alcohol doesn't want a 0.5% ABV beer. That'd be like feeding a vegetarian a tiny bit of thinly cut ham. Of course, Steve, if someone comes out with a 0.04% or lower beer, they'll be making the same argument against you. In Germany, where 0.5% is treated as alcohol-free, there have been numerous tests regarding 0.5% and completely alcohol-free. The researchers did not see any difference in the effect it has on people. So how is it made? Most of the time, it starts off like regular beer, from making a mash to the fermenting stage. But while regular beer will now be bottled, can, or further aged, non-alcohol beer has to have its alcohol removed. If you remember your high school chemistry, alcohol is a much lower freezing temperature than water, thus the reason for that bottle of vodka in the freezer, and it has a much lower boiling point than water, around 78 degrees C. You can, in effect, boil off the alcohol before the water starts boiling. This additional cooking, however, gives alcohol-free beards a taste we all can't stand, and that's why most have been, in the past, heavy on the malt flavor. Hot flavors? Forget it. They're not going to happen with all that additional heat in cooking time. The problem with boiling beer is that it doesn't just remove the alcohol. It destroys other flavor components that give beer its fullness and character. According to Brew Your Own, the hop aromas will usually be driven off within the first five minutes, while the hop flavors will be gone within the first 15 minutes, which is why finding a decent alcohol IPA can be a challenge. When my friend Mario and I were drowning numerous alcohol-free beers the other day, one thing we noticed that quite a few had a metallic taste that ranged from being very slight to quite pronounced. Regular beer can have the same problem, but we didn't notice it due to the hop flavors. When brewers inject CO2 into alcohol-free beer, besides tiny bubbles in your drink, it also adds carbonic acid, which can give off a metallic or sour flavor, which could be one reason why non-alcohol seems to work extremely well with sours. Some brewers boil under vacuum pressure to reduce a boiling point, thereby mitigating damage to flavor. Of course, you need the additional equipment to do it. That said, two American craft brewers, Jeff Stevens of Wellbeing Brewing and Philip Bandes of Bravas Brewing, have taken the challenge of creating craft non-alcoholic beer by using the vacuum boil method. Depending on the power of the vacuum, the alcohol's boiling point could be lowered to around 40 degrees C. A couple friends and I tried Wellbeing's Heavenly Body Golden Wee in Hellraiser Dark Amber. We all agreed if we were offered a Diet Coke or either of these two, we'd take the non-alcohol beers in a harpy. If we were offered the real thing or these two, that's where opinions sharply differed. Another de-alcoholizing technique that is sometimes employed is reverse osmosis. As Chow.com explains it, beer is passed through a filter with pores so small that only alcohol and water with a few volatile acids can pass through. The alcohol is distilled out of the alcohol-water mix using conventional distilling methods, and the water and remaining acids are added back into the syrupy mixture of sugars and flavor compounds left on the other side of the filter. Bingo! A non-alcoholic brew. Because the main ingredients are unheated, this technique causes less flavored degradation, so it gives generally preferable results, although it's more labor-intensive and requires even more equipment.
Regular beer drinkers will tell you that no matter what brewers do, non-alcohol beers won't taste completely the same because there's no alcohol. And they're actually a bit right. Well, alcohol doesn't really add any flavor. Alcohol does add what's called the mouthfeel of the beer. It gives that dryness, and according to some, it can accentuate some of the sweet flavors in the malt. If you don't believe me about the lack of flavor, next time you're in the USA's Deep South, try having a swig from a bottle of Everclear, which you can sometimes find being sold at 190 proof. After sampling some of the non-alcohol choices at CBR, I went to see what else was out there. In the UK, Dry Drinker and Stains has the largest assortment, so I went out there to meet with founder Stuart Elkington and to do a bit of sampling. Stuart is the founder of Dry Drinker, which is the UK's largest distributor of low and non-alcohol beer, wines, and spirits. Stuart, you told me uh, the business was founded on a bet? Yeah, it was. I, I still don't know if I've won the bet or not, but um, yeah, my, my wife and I were starting a family and uh, I worked for a, a pub company actually in their uh, pub chain design team. And um, we went to see, uh, it was the last meeting we had before we started IVF. And we were a little bit older and uh, takes a bit more time. And the doctor said, look, give it another six months. But Stuart, hey, I bet you could help by stopping drinking. And um, uh, I, when I shook his hand, I thanked him for saying it in front of my wife. So she got in my ear about not drinking and I, I took up the challenge. So I, I, she bet me I couldn't do it for six months. So I did. Um, Probably my timing was wrong. I started it the first week in May, nearly five year, five and a half years ago, as we went to a wedding in Italy. So you can imagine five days in Italy at a wedding, my first week stopping drinking my six-month challenge. So, um, yeah, I thought if I could get over that first five days in Italy, then I've cracked it. And, and, that, and then it just came from there. I had six months. Uh, I felt great. I slept better. I lost a bit of weight. Um... And I thought, do you know what, I, there's, there's got to be some great beer out there, but I couldn't find any anywhere in the UK. There was a couple of places that doing sort of German alcohol-free beer. Um, so I thought, there might be something in this as a business. So I must have complained that much to my wife. She said, for goodness sake, just do something about it and stop your whining. And, and that's how Dry Drinker started. And that was three years ago? Three years ago, yeah. Uh, and Dry Drinker, the name came from... People were constantly asking me, have you stopped drinking? And I said, no, I just drink dry. Uh, and I kind of wanted it to be a positive thing. I realised when I stopped drinking that actually not drinking was a negative, where I, I saw it as a positive. And it was kind of, what's wrong with you if you're not drinking? So that's why dry drinker is, it was, I'm still a drinker. I don't count myself as a non-drinker. I'm, I'm, I'm a drinker. There's just... You know, the beer that I drink just has a 0.5, not 5.0. That was kind of how I viewed it. And, and and I kind of wanted to present Dry Drinker in that positive manner. Uh, and we're not a preachy brand. You know, we're there when you don't want to drink. We're there when you do want to drink. We're just, we just believe in great products, beer, wines and spirits. And it was all about being positive, not not negative. What's the biggest change you've seen over the last three years? People are giving it a go. People are. I think. I think there is a beer brand that's been a, been around in the UK a long time, which is alcohol free and was kind of the only one that you could find in supermarkets and beer and and pubs. Um, 
So when people, when you present them with 103 beers that we've currently got in stock, they're like, wow, this, you know, they can't get their head around it. So they, they, it's just the choice and the range and how quickly that uh, people have got on board. The bigger brands have been obviously very, very slow to do that. But certainly I know of now four new breweries that are uh, alcohol-free, dedicated, that started in the UK within the last three years. You know, so the growth in, in that has been phenomenal. I had um, some brew dog, their sour, was it sour crush? Yeah, the raspberry. Yeah, and um, I had no idea at the time that it was a, a no alcohol yeah. drink, and I thought it was just typical sour. Yeah, beer, but I would, and uh, by the time I finished it, though, I kept thinking, God, this was so refreshing. This was so good. Mm. I mean, do you think people have that experience? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I, th- I think the, the comments we get on the website, uh, and they mostly say, the beers are great, you know, and I, and I think there is a real uh, sense of, uh, they have a preconception that, it's, that, that they're not going to be very good. So when you actually present them as something that is good, it's a real revelation for people. Um, and again, the particular brand I'm talking about, I, I didn't like it. I think it's a very specific flavour and taste. Um, there have been many, there's been a couple of brands in the UK that sort of I remember from when I was in my 20s and my dad used to drink and he always moaned that they, you had to put lime with them or put them as a shandy or just to give them some flavour. And of course, that's not the case. And, and also what's important to, to me was the labelling. I used to say to the brands, it doesn't need to say alcohol free across the front. Why does it need to? You know, the Europeans don't. They just say, look, they present it in the same label as their their 5% range. It's just part of their range. It's something they do. If it tastes good, does it need to say alcohol-free on the on the front of the label? And so that's changed as well. It's just a beer rather than an alcohol-free beer. Well, we've been talking, I've been drinking a, a new alcohol porter, which <clears throat> if I hadn't been, if I don't see the words right on it says new alcohol, I'm not sure I would have guessed that it was non-alcohol I might have thought eh, maybe it's a little bit lower than normal yeah but the flavor is actually mm. extremely good on the other hand though I think it's some of the German ones that are really heavy on malt yeah and uh, I feel like I'm drinking a I don't know some kids medicine or something yeah. I find them pretty horrible I mean do some beard styles work better going low or non-alcohol I think you're right and again it's down to uh, I mean we, we we stocked a couple of sour beers uh, from Denmark and they are primarily designed to go with spicy food, and, and you know we signposted that on the website page. But but I guess if you if you drank them on isolation, because they're 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 vinegary and, and the, the Danes love pickles, and we kind of don't yet. People say, oh my goodness, you know, is, is this out of date beer? Because that that's but that's the flavour of the beer. We're not used to that very deep, rich, multi flavour yet. And I think maybe maybe in the next sort of five or ten years, it's certainly creeping in into the beer. We are getting a, our tastes are going a little bit more multi, but we are very much hop based light beer, and that's kind of where we where beer drinkers like to sit and feel most comfortable. I think sour seem to be a real natural choice. Yeah. Uh, lower non-alcohol i mean with ipa so i'm kind of used to extremely hoppy flavor and uh you know well over five percent six percent seven percent alcohol can an ipa work one of our ipas that we do stock has just won uh, world fermented alcohol-free beer 
Uh, and again, that's a it's a fantastic IPA that that again is full of flavour, full of hop, full of life and uh, and taste. So uh, they're paving the way to 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 really. It's about flavour, and and most of the IPAs that we uh, that we stock, again. You, if it's if you start with the good ingredients, then you're going to get a good product, and I think that's what the certainly the dedicated alcohol-free um, breweries have found. You know, great great ingredients, great beer. You mentioned what lagers don't work very well, though. I think lagers need a bit more a bit more time. I think there's a bit more technology to work in terms of how to keep that flavour in while taking the the alcohol out. Um, I think the, the for me my 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 flavor is some black forest part of Germany they're very uh they're very dry lagers um we've got a great beer it's a Fustenberg they've been brewing since the 12th century and um I always say to people who are skeptical about alcohol free lager well uh, they've been brewing since the 12th century so if they can't get it right I'm not sure anybody can but um so yeah the the the, the sort of uh, the Eastern European lagers that, and also the Russian lagers that we stock are, are, are very, very popular because they have a, a drier flavour than maybe the the British uh, lagers at the moment. The Russians make an alcohol free. They do indeed. Yeah. Mm. So we, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So the world is changing, and it's 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 great. We've got uh, it's a brewery in St Petersburg, um, so we've got uh, we've got a great Lithuanian beer. I mean, they have a great pedigree in brewing the Russians and, and Eastern Europeans. So, yeah, we're, we are. Um, we've got. I think we've got. Uh, they do a great wheat beer as well. Their wheat beer actually, they brew it just slightly sweeter than than uh, than the Germans, but um, it's fantastic. So yeah, it's really good. I know it's pretty much everything you have. It's uh, zero point what zero five percent. Up to zero point five is is at the moment classed as alcohol free in the UK. Yeah. So you're you're not interested in the low alcohol. No, I, I mean for me it was just about you're either one thing or the other. Uh, I mean, what does low what does low mean? So we just decide. Well, I decided that um, you know if we're alcohol free, let's be famous for something and let's not muddle the conversation. So mm. I know that you know low is it can be one point two or it can be up to two percent, but we just kind of wanted to stick to something and, and do it well. So that was the idea. I think it's is it Honeycombs that. It has a pretty successful ad campaign yeah. going on. I mean, do you think that's spilled over to, to help you? Yeah, definitely. I, I think I think when the bigger brands have come into the market, it gives the consumer a bit of reassurance that it must be pretty good then if they're doing it. Um, now, obviously, they've got big brands and Briggs name to protect. So, you know, the technology and money that they've put behind them, I think, has been... They've waited a, a, just to see how kind of the, you know, the market plays out. And certainly the the British brands that have recently come into the, the market, the, the consumers have been pretty positive to, to what they produced. When you started, you were a, pretty much a one-man band. Yeah. How many people do you have now? So we've grown to five, um, so within three years, um, which for us is, is, is a phenomenon success. And, and, and really it's been uh, through all organic growth it's kind of you know people get to to know the dry drinker name to enjoy the products we have and it's kind of that you know they are certainly telling their friends so we've done it kind of organically slowly at our pace not not about um kind of wanting to rule the world this year and and it's all about for us reputation you know if we can get great famous for great beers great wines great spirits and and deliver it in the in uh, at the right time, then you know we've got a great sustainable business. 
Do you see, um, I guess with marketing, do you see it's a responsibility of companies like BrewDog to push the sour, or is it your job to push BrewDog sour? Well, looking at uh, BrewDog's latest accounts, they've got a bit more money than me, so uh, <laughs> I would, uh, I'd like them to give me a bit more money. Uh, the th- it's a very interesting question because I, when, when, you know, for us as a small business, any, any brand that we work with is about partnerships. And, you know, I say to them all, I want to be your biggest supplier. You know, I want to be your biggest customer. But there's a responsibility on, on both sides. You know, I'll do my bit, but we're asking you to do yours. BrewDog's a great example. I mean, obviously, it's it's part of a large range. And, you know, how much attention does it actually get? Not much. So um, for us, w- when we do work with the brands, we try and get as much as we can. But certainly the, the independent UK uh, brands, we do more actively together because it's in our best interest. You know, BrewDog, um, you know, they know who we are. We, they know the volumes we sell. Um, and you know, do come to us and, and help us with price and help us with promotions and help us with social media. So they do their bit. Um, but again, it, it's not, you know, top of their radar and I wouldn't expect it to be. The elephant in the room for all of us who are involved in the beer industry is alcohol. It's there. It's most definitely there. But it's something we never discuss at beer conferences, trade shows, in bars or in tap rooms, which in a way seems a bit screwy on our part, if for many people, one of the main reasons why they have a cold one is to enjoy a bit of buzz, enjoyment, and temporary mental escape from what life throws at us. Why do we pretend otherwise? It's why people have been drinking for thousands and thousands of years, so why should we feel embarrassed to discuss it? If we acknowledge that alcohol is an important part of our industry, then we should acknowledge, too, that sometimes we should be offering an alternative. Guinness has its H2O Guinness Clear, also known as tap water, in their campaign to drink moderately. Breweries across the world are offering up non-alcohol beers by the hundreds. Should this alternative be, however, something coming from your brewery? For those of you who are small, no. It takes time and money to do it right, and you have bigger things to worry about. For you medium to large brewers, let me pass on this bit of advice from the U.S. Western days. The pioneer gets the arrow, the settler gets the land. This time around, alcohol-free will be here to stay, which I suspect it will be. I don't see much advantage of being the first one out the gate. The big boys like Conikins use their massive marketing budgets to create the demand and then follow behind like the settlers of old. When visiting Stewart, a dry drinker, I enjoyed a brass porter. I'm not going to lie to you and tell it was the finest porter I ever had, but it was far from the worst. I'd probably place it right in the middle. What in a way made it the best was, I had the enjoyment of the drink without the sluggish feel afterwards. And without giving alcohol blood levels a single thought, I got into my car and drove off knowing I wasn't in danger to anyone on the road except for my usual crappy driving. I'd say that was a pretty great alternative. This has been Velo Mitrovich, and you've been listening to Brewer's Journal Podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, online beer shop, Beer Wolf, for making this possible. For more great podcasts, go to rebemedia.com to find out about the next Brewer's Lectures visit 
brewersjournal.info. Thanks for listening.